Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. The topic of today's show is training the dark side or lactate tolerance training. This is a topic that I thought was very entertaining and for a lot of the athletes that are participating in obstacle racing and these high intensity of events, uh, they're very confused about the process and I thought it would be cool to not only do this show and discuss it with my dear friend, Dr. Harry Pino, who's an exercise scientist from uh, New Jersey, but to offer up a PDF file free of charge to anyone that visits the naturalrunningnetwork.com and subscribes to the podcast. They're going to get a copy. While I'm on the subject, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Meal Global, makers of Mio Alpha and Mio Fuse, heart rate monitors that do not require chest straps. You can find the link on my website if you're interested in more information about them. And MedHab. MedHab makes a training insole that provides data, feedback from what's actually happening when you make contact with the ground. Very, very innovative stuff here. We're talking about force production, power output, cadence, flight time. It's just an amazing tool for those that are interested in trying to improve their running skills. So let's do this show. I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Harry Pino, and he is off in the East Coast right now uh, in his office preparing to do a VO2 max test on one of his clients. And so, Harry, why don't you say hello to our audience? Hello, everyone. Uh, Nice to um, um, be with you, too, Richard. Yeah. So, Harry, tell us a little bit about the client you got coming. Uh, well, uh, her name is, uh, I just could say her first name, Rolanda. <laughs> um, she, uh, um, she's a uh, former Olympian, um, 800 meters. Uh, she represented um, um, the uh, country of Panama. So she's trying to get back after having a, a baby, so... Uh, um, she's trying to get back and get ready to run some some uh, some races. So cool. she needs a VO two. <laughs> well, this is interesting, uh, you know. And I should I should let people know that uh, this is completely coincidental and accidental. I didn't know that you were getting ready to do a test right now, and I mm. appreciate that I pulled you away for a few minutes to discuss this topic, and the topic being what I call training the dark side. The dark side, in my mind, being what occurs when you get above your lactate threshold from a standpoint of training or racing, mm-hmm. which, which mm-hmm. is, in my my opinion, a critical component of your training and often misunderstood. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, I have to agree with that. It's, uh, and, and sometimes that misconception um, could bring the athletes in, in could get him in a lot of trouble too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of people I'm working with these days that are into high intensity events. They're doing these obstacle races, and the nature of an obstacle race is that mm-hmm. you know you run to to you get to an obstacle, then you have to do some high intensity type of strength move. Mm-hmm. Then you have to run to the next obstacle. And you, mm-hmm. you continue this type of activity from either a 5k in the sprint events, right on up to a half marathon. And in some mm-hmm. cases, these events, I know that the World Championships for Spartan is going to occur at Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. So now what we're doing is we're adding altitude to the to the complexity of the thing. So clearly this is a very important element of training for someone 
that is going to be going out hard, having to stay at this relatively high intensity and maintain their capacity to perform. Yeah, the, it's uh, that's the uh, the new thing, and it's a coincidence. Also, we have a couple of uh, uh, we sponsor a couple of uh, Spartan guys in, at the clinic, at the former clinic I was, and 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 it's interesting how they train and and um, you know I, it, it's just it, it's good and bad. I guess because you're young, you could handle it, but if you have a middle aged guy or or uh, some guys our age trying to do this um it could be it could be painful so so uh um i do agree that it's it's it definitely high intensity it's it's um it's all out and um I, I mean they have incredible lactate tolerance but uh i'm not i'm more concerned with their aerobic capacity which that's another topic but it's, it's it's pretty interesting how they come in sometimes we and i think you had an experience several weeks ago doing a uh, a test on one of your athletes and it was very interesting um results <laughs> yeah yeah just to put it mildly yes well yes. but so so let, let's let's talk about that for just a second now you, you suggested that i'm trying to read between the lines and I think you're trying to be politically correct in what you're trying to say, but there's a lot of misconceptions in respect to the approach to training in regards to preparing for events like this. And so mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of guys are getting involved in this hypoxic training where they're mm -hmm. wearing these sport masks to to shunt their their ability to to get efficient respiration while they're you know they're putting themselves to task. And, you know, all of these things that are really, really inhibiting and, and expensive efforts. And not, not to suggest that there's not a place for that type of training, but it should not be your staple in life. I, I have to agree with that. Um, and, 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 and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, yes, I am trying to be politically correct because, you know, it's... Uh, but the uh, type of, or the method of training for this type of event, it's just, it's, it's pretty, obviously it's intense, but again, it's um, the amount of injuries we see with this type of event, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Based on some research we have done, I think the amount of, of injuries, it's around 74 to 76% of all these athletes that are participating in this type of, uh, of, of event and mostly comes from, um, from a musculoskeletal standpoint. Um, they just don't stretch much and they just really, they're warmups. If you, and again, I know you, you're dealing with a lot of them now, but their warmups, it's not like your typical warmup for a runner or a middle, even a middle distance runner. It's just, they they power everything in their warm-ups. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, what, what I, I clearly, uh, I guess the, the, the thing we're trying to say here, and I, and I agree with you, is that there, there's a better way to, to approach this type of training. And, you know, I, I've been around it lately, Harry, and, and mm -hmm. I've been around some of, the, some of the, the top athletes in the sport, and they're all really very, very eager and hungry for information. Because mm -hmm. there is not a lot of information in respect to the proper approach to training for these sports because the sport mm -hmm. is really pretty much in its infancy. So uh, that's really kind of what brought me to it is the fascination of, you know, the approach to the sport. And, uh, you know, th these people are very eager. I mean, I I I'll tell you what, I've, I've been around a lot of athletes in my life, and I've, I've yet to run into a group with more enthusiasm and grit than the people that participate in these obstacle races. So yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. Um, so it, it's what caused me to, to write this little paper that I refer to as training the dark side. Because obviously there's a necessity to develop this anaerobic uh, metabolism to survive and thrive in these types of events. So what I want to do is first, if we could, and I know I'm going to go ahead and apologize for for pulling you out of your office, and you no, know we, okay. we have a limited amount of time with you, and I, and I want to use your time wisely. 
So what I want to do is first kind of uh, introduce people to exactly what this is, lactate, and you know what the processes are. And you know, I don't know who better to have discuss this with me than someone that has a PhD in exercise science. So let's just kind of kick it around a little bit here. Lactate is a natural occurring function of metabolism. And I think that a lot of people are confused about what this substance is and what it causes to have happen. And, you know, I think that what, what's really critical to understand is, first of all, it is not a function of this uh, lactic acid that is uh, causing you to have this delayed onset muscle soreness two days later. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that the reason they're sore after a couple days' workout, that they still have all this lactic acid in their muscles. I've even heard people talk about doing flushing exercises you know, mm-hmm. a day or two later uh, to move out the lactic acid. And, and you, you know, you and I both know, Harry, or at least I, I want to uh, go out on a limb and assume you'll agree with me, is that if you're still experiencing a tremendous amount of lactic acid buildup two days after an event, you had better mm-hmm. go see a doctor. <laughs> Uh, yes, you're starting to have, yes, absolutely, there's uh, muscle damage going on, um, and, and I have to agree with you, too, it's, it's, it's a misconception. I mean, lactic acid, believe it or not, I always say it's good for you. <laughs> it is good for you. But, um, yes, but, um, and it's sadly, um, specifically with the people we see as the, these high-end athletes, you know, they, they really get, and even they're pretty good athletes, but they're pretty much, they don't want to touch up that lactate. They, they, they get very concerned. I have several female runners that they love to be right below lactate, which is okay, but once in a while you have to push that envelope, um, um, and, and, and they're afraid. They won't do it. And, and so, so, so we have to find ways both as trainers and as um, um, unofficial psychologists <laughs> to deal with their mind and, 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 and teaching these athletes that it's okay to, to go a little bit above that. You know, maybe in, if you have a 10-day cycle of training, maybe day three or day six, again, depending on your on your cycle. But... Um, um, the this byproduct is it's it, it's it's good to understand um, it, it's good to understand because you need this for your if you're using heart rate training um, um, you know you need to understand it for your heart rate well the, at the end of the day lactate um, is in the process of our well let, let's back up as we combust energy we produce lactate as a component of this lactate production, we create glucose. And this glucose mm-hmm. is either going to be pushed into our liver for use later days or, you know, you're going to end up using it directly. So lactate is actually a supplemental energy source. But the problem with most people is that when they go over their threshold, they go so heavily into their threshold that mm-hmm. the hydrogen ions that are associated with lactic acid production start to Mm -hmm. irritate the nerve endings, and then what ends up happening is it starts to shut them down, and then Mm -hmm. they fail. In my my position paper, I I quote Dr. Timothy Noakes, who who has very eloquently uh, described what he calls the the central governor theory. And, and, you know, your your central Mm -hmm. governor or your central uh, nervous system is always on, on guard to protect you from you harming yourself. And when you start to throw up signals that are, contrary to your health, your central nervous system will start shutting muscle function down and keep you from producing more work. And the idea being it's trying to protect you from your your being injured. But if you take it, and and the the comment I like to use, and I I made made reference to it in, in this paper, is I like to look at lactate tolerance training as like getting a flu shot. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you take an inoculation, which is essentially a low dose of the virus that you're trying to develop an immunity towards, and your body learns to adapt to this low dose and progressively higher doses of this potential virus. Mm-hmm. So when you get over your lactate threshold, if you do it in an undulating fashion, you get up, 
and you back up some of this lactate production with some, some aerobic conditioning, you're able to flush some of the uh, the excess waste from the, the working excess, muscles. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, you, you start to teach your body to learn to contend with ensuing waste production, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, that's a very solid explanation, very solid. I mean, uh, and, and again, most people, uh, once they, they, you know, these lactic thresholds, for example, or above that, and we know from a clinical standpoint, normally it's around 20 beats per minute about that steady state and um and but i have to agree with you but most of these athletes they you know they want to train up there especially in the new sports spartan races and um um, these crossfit that's another example now they're adding more running into it but they're running way up there um i mean they're literally they're they're really reaching high they're really putting 90% of effort, 95% effort, but their aerobic capacity is so low, um, they start fading quite a bit. Um, and, 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 and you're right, we have to start probably teaching this a little more to these athletes. Um, there's, a good, there's a good reading that I recommend. Uh, you could look up as hydrogen and lactate and exercise, and you could just click on that, and there's pretty good article about these well-trained athletes that, that usually train below um, their lactate threshold and then in their cycles they drop eight, they go between five and ten minutes all out within that cycle um, and and they're all anaerobic and, and, and they believe that that's the way to train so um, um, I just came up upon that article, and, um, and I'm still reading it, but it's pretty interesting, and it explains exactly what you're saying, Richard, about these um, these exchanges in the body. So, it's, well, what what I've I, tried to create in this training plan is basically a uh, a tiptoe approach to becoming accustomed to this acidic environment. That, it, that resides in the working muscles, as opposed to, you know, I, I liken it to beating your head against the wall. You're going to lose to the wall every time. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. as you suggested, you go into a high-intensity event, it becomes a function of how much tolerance you've developed to this ensuing waste production. And uh, if you do it all the time, you you may be able to be more successful than the people you're competing with, but mm-hmm. the true path to developing uh, tolerance is first of all getting the, the the lactate to be processed as opposed to just trying to take the beating, learn to contend mm-hmm. with the ensuing production of lactate. And through what is re- referred to as the lactate shuttle system, you start teaching your body how to mitigate the ensuing problem by shoving some of this uh, lactic acid into regions of the body that are not working and respirating mm-hmm. some of it, I like to tell people it's like a relief valve. You blow some of it off in the form of carbon dioxide through your exhalation, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. throw some of it back into your liver, and it goes into your liver and it's processed into glucose and right back into energy source again. So that's the that's the end game, and the the, mm-hmm. the path I believe to improving your capacity to do this is to, as I suggested. You tiptoe into it. So let me give you the four, or essentially the three stages or phases of training that I've created, and, and give me your thoughts on it, Harry. Okay. So first of all, uh, when I get somebody new that is into this sport, the first thing I want to do with them is I want to try to improve their VO2 max. Okay. And so, um, and then incidentally, Harry, since I'm doing online coaching with athletes that I'll never meet, and I'm trying to help them develop good running skills. Mm-hmm. While they're doing a lot of base work, which is obviously what I prescribe, I have them do a lot of high-intensity intervals on a treadmill, um, but mm-hmm. the treadmill is set up at about an 8% grade, and I have them doing 30-second repeats, and then I require that they allow their heart rate to come down to about 120 beats per minute before they produce another set. Another set, yeah, perfect. So, so mm-hmm. ideally, is what we're doing is putting a lot of stress on the heart, which is going to cause it to become stronger, mm-hmm. improve cardiac output. Mm-hmm. 
while allowing a lot of recovery time to flush a lot of that lactic acid out so that they, mm-hmm. for the most part, it's an aerobic effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it, it, that's exactly the way to do it. I mean, if you don't, uh, if you don't also include workouts that that challenges your system by doing just what you're doing, just below or, or to above the current lactic threshold levels, um, you will not maximize the the the, uh, the ability to, for these short distance uh, to long distance events. Your current that's that's absolutely correct. So then, what I have them do is I I, I do like a um, on one day on one day off. One day off meaning that they're doing an aerobic workout. So if I did this high-intensity mm-hmm. workout today, tomorrow I'm going to do a 60-minute aerobic base run. Mm-hmm. So the actual volume of work that you're doing aerobically is still dominant. Uh, and, and incidentally, I haven't said it, but I should say it, the best way to improve lactate tolerance is to become more aerobic. And so your lactate threshold is going to go further and further north into your heart rate before mm-hmm. you start to become... Uh, shut down by this acidic nature of this lactic acid development. So um, that's the one-two punch. You do these intervals at first at really high intensity with great recovery, and then they follow up on the on the following day with uh, a, a nice easy base run. Mm-hmm. And I have people do that for about three weeks, and then after that three weeks, what we do is uh, we we start increasing the time under tension. So instead of doing these high-intensity 30-second intervals, now what we're doing is moderate intensity. So uh, we have them go not quite as intense above threshold, but above threshold mm-hmm. for 90 seconds mm-hmm. and follow up with – so so the work ratio is, is uh, now one-to-one. In the beginning, okay. the work ratio was one-to-two, so one part work, two times recovery. And and then now we're going to do one to one. So if I have you at 90 seconds above threshold at a, a moderate over threshold pace, I follow up with moderate aerobic recovery. The way I've done this, mm-hmm. and then assuming that most people aren't going to have a chance to be tested by you or I, mm. unfortunately, uh, what I've done is <laughs> I've, I've used I use Maffetone's formula where we take 180 subtract our age, and then mm-hmm. I have three levels of anaerobic metabolism. So um, I have them uh, take 180, add 10 beats, and then low-intensity lactate tolerance training, they add 10 beats. And then moderate-intensity training, add 20. And then Mm -hmm. at lactate high-intensity, add 25. So, for example, Mm -hmm. if your threshold was 140 beats per minute, at the top end of your uh, lactate tolerance training, high-intensity, you'd add 25 beats to that, so it would be about 165. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then what I do is for recovery, uh, we just do the 180 minus your age is the base recovery, and if mm-hmm. it's uh, greater in, greater volume recovery, we minus 5 beats, and really low-intensity low aerobic conditioning, we minus 10 beats. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. not only do I graduate the the intensity above threshold, I also graduate the intense or uh, the decrease in intensity below threshold. So when I speak of moderate aerobic conditioning, what we're really doing is subtracting about five beats from that equation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, it seems and, and that's and, and now question is um, for you. It, it, so this is how how what results you're getting with 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 this, especially in in when they're performing, you feel like they're improving this way. Or well, what what ends up happening happening really for the most part is most people have one thing that they do: they go out and either run hard or they run easy. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to graduate the progression of intensity above threshold, and do it Perfect. in a progressive fashion over time. So you're not going to just beat yourself up today and then come back and beat yourself up again tomorrow. You're going to massage your body with some aerobic conditioning between your efforts. You're going to Mm -hmm. guard the intensity by including an adequate amount of recovery. Rather than perception, you're going to use heart rate to determine whether you're adequately recovered. Mm -hmm. And then as you start to spend greater lengths of time above threshold, 
you're going mm-hmm. to eventually start shoring up the amount of time that you get to recover and at, okay. the, and at the intensity you're going to get to recover. So uh, I liken it to um, swimming underwater. If you want to get good at swimming underwater, you may go underwater and swim a little bit, have to come up, get a gulp of air, uh, maybe mm-hmm. two gulps of air, and then you're going to swim longer underwater, and the longer you're underwater, the more air you're going to need when you come up. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. progressively, as you start to improve your ability to sustain, essentially what it is is you're sustaining all this carbon dioxide, this this resident in your muscles and your body, and you you get better at it. And so you're you're going to find that you could spend more time underwater mm-hmm. with uh, less and less recovery above the water. So, perfect. So in, so, a, so in it's, essence, it's the same same theory. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because so so it's safe to say that, for example, uh, when you start them at sub threshold workouts, whatever workout. It, it, that will be around, I don't know, like 10, maybe 10, 25 percent of the with the with the interval of rest, and then at a threshold workouts, it's going to be 50, 75 percent of interval rest. Well, there's then, there's uh, there's varying ways to look at it. We can look at it in percentages, and it's really interesting because it took me a few days to do this because. I was I was toying with the best approach to explain this to people, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not terribly convinced I've got it yet. But what I what I've tried to do is I've tried to to allow people to deal in time, uh, in the in the absence of having a heart rate monitor, mm-hmm. uh, which incidentally is a big mistake in my mind. I think that to do this properly, you need to wear a heart rate monitor. I agree. And, yes, and so the idea being, so let me just kind of give you the broad stroke, and then maybe I won't lose you. Uh, so the the first th- I got it broken up into basically a couple weeks at a time. So the first 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 three weeks, you do these thirty second intervals at high intensity with great recovery at very low mm-hmm. heart rates. So mm-hmm. for example, if I found my threshold to be one hundred and forty beats per minute, my recovery heart rate would be uh, minus um, fifteen. So uh, probably about one hundred and thirty, one hundred and twenty five beats per minute would be the recovery. So the, the 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 heart rate is governing the intensity, and incidentally, the uh, at the high end we're looking at 25 beats above. So that'd be 165. Mm-hmm. I'd have to recover mm-hmm. down to 125 before I can repeat. Mm-hmm. So the length of time that I am recovering is what governs the work, right? That's, so that's, yes, as opposed to having a static amount of time where it may not be enough time and you start to suffer later into the workout and no longer able to produce the intensities that you produced early on. Yeah, so, and and, and so I'm not trying to interrupt, but yeah. that is exactly what we're seeing, though, um, in these type of events. Um, these athletes, that's when, in, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, that's when they start getting injured. They break form and they're not trained at that thing. And I think this method that you're using is, it's outstanding. You should you, you should be writing more about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate my writing, Harry. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, oh, I got to no. go. Got to go into the editing and the whole thing. It's just a. It's just. It's just. You got to no, love. You got to love to write. Yeah, I know. I don't. I my writings are horrible too. But I, and, uh, but the way you're explaining it, if you take an average athlete, and meaning average in terms of the knowledge of training. And you explain it the way you're doing. Um, I mean, you're going to have a very successful program because that is the key piece that's missing in this type of event. It's right. someone that could explain it and forget about percentages. You and I, we understand percentages, but but just by having something visual like a heart rate monitor, they will start understanding the concept. You know, and and then you manipulate the numbers. Obviously, when they start getting fitter, they'll know that that heart rate uh, at rest is going to really drop faster. So that interval is going to stay shorter. And that's correct. That's right. the way to do it. Well, and you're, the, right. you're 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 on something. Here. Thank that's you very really much. Good. So so what I try to do is I progressively increase the amount of time under tension, and reduce the amount of time recovering. 
Mm-hmm. And, and but it's you can't rush this process. If if you if you just put a timeline on it where you said, well, this is a ten week program, and in week five this is where I need to be, you're mm-hmm. you're going to miss it because no. if you mm-hmm. if you're not governing the heart rate and allowing the body to adapt and develop your training program around your adaptations, then you're really going to screw the pooch. You're not going to get it done right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me give you the broad stroke. I was trying to go there, and let me just finish it up. So I got it broken, segmented into uh, like three weeks for the first phase, two weeks for the next phase, and another two weeks for the last phase. And I did it short like this because the other thing that happens with these obstacle racers, incidentally, is they have a full plate of events that they're into. They're not about to do like a marathoner might do where – you might schedule 22, 24 weeks worth of consecutive training preparing for an event. In 24 mm-hmm. weeks, they made a race five times. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make some sense of the time in between these events so at least there's some systematic order in the approach to the training. Absolutely. So we can always revisit one of these phases and relative to the results we're gaining we're going to start understanding what phase we should actually be in when we finish up with an event so in again so in uh, the second phase uh, and by the way the timeline is still pretty static it's Monday Wednesday Friday is when the work is being done Tuesday Mm -hmm. Thursday Saturday is when the recovery runs are being done Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. phase two as I suggested the intensity in the work is held longer by three times, so rather than 30 seconds, now it's 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. And the recovery time is ab- about the same. So mm-hmm. you're going to allow, if you get 90 seconds worth of work, you're going to get 90 seconds worth of recovery unless your heart rate's not come down to the to stage that one. we're looking for, Yes. in which mm-hmm. case you have to wait. Mm-hmm. And then if everything is going well, and the third phase of training, then what we're going to do is we're going to cut down the length of time under tension again, but we're going to increase the intensity again. So uh, we went from high intensity to moderate intensity. Now we're going to go back up to high intensity, but we're going to sustain high intensity for longer. So high intensity work in the first phase was 30 seconds. Now in phase three, it's for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And the difference between phase three and phase one is not only is the intensity twice as much, but the recovery now is cut down to a third of what it was before. So where before it was like one to two or one to three, one to mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. it's it's two or three to one. Yeah. So you what think. you're doing is you're hoping, and you know if everything goes as planned, by this time your need for recovery is going to be reduced and your mm-hmm. ability to sustain this high-intensity work for longer is going to be uh, much more prolific. So, um, Absolutely. And that, then, that, 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 that's the, uh, obviously, that, that's, that amount of weeks that you have them doing that, I think that's appropriate. Um, you look at running, that's probably running not long distance or doing intervals for but mostly the 800 meter guy, the mile guy, um, that's tend to be a good way of doing it as well. You're right. correct. Right. Well, and, and in essence, this is the thing: is that I believe in real world training. You know, you need to do something that is realistic. And I've seen a lot mm-hmm. of programs that were written that were not really realistic. You know, they're they're they're, <laughs> they're complicated. They're very difficult. Mm-hmm. If you if you miss a week. You don't know where to go back into the program. And mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, what you're, what really is happening here, if the, 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 the overtone of this, whether anybody's getting it or not, is that your heart rate recovery is what's dictating the process. Absolutely. You, you, absolutely, I agree. And, I agree. It's, and so it's, it's the, all three components, you're right, the frequency, um, the duration, and obviously the intensity, which is heart rate, Absolutely. Well, the point being is that if you're not seeing these responses from your recovery, then you're either approaching the work incorrectly or your body's not adapted. And Mm -hmm. if your body's not adapted, then all that's left for you to do is either allow more recovery 
or spend more time mm-hmm. in that particular phase of training. Absolutely. I have to agree. That's, that is sort of the way um, we tend to do our athletes, our track guys, and also our middle distance guys. Absolutely. We, um, we base everything with heart rate. And, so, um, yeah, the interesting thing about this, Harry, since you and I kind of, we, you know, we, we share this type of work among each other, and because and of the nature of the work we do, we, we understand the, the benefits and, and the importance of the type of work we're talking about. But what is traditional in most training uh, environments, uh, especially where running is concerned, is when they get onto a track, They've, had, they've got these ambiguous workouts where they're mm-hmm. doing ladders. Well, okay, I'm going to run a 1,200, or I'm going to run an mm-hmm. 800, a 600, mm-hmm. a 400, a 300, a 200. Now I'm going to run some hundreds. i got guys that are doing these 100-meter repeats with little rest mm-hmm. in preparation, late stages, to do a marathon. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. trying to yeah. understand what crack they're smoking that yeah. would think that there's going to be some metabolic adaptations that are going to be beneficial by doing these yeah. really, really high-intensity workouts mm-hmm. with brief rest for absolutely for a marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you have heard of a, a gentleman um, who passed away sir, a couple of decades ago, um, Arthur Lanyard. Oh, yeah. He, he never had any of his athletes do track work at five to seven weeks before the event. That's the only time they did speed work. And, I mean, I was a big follower of his um, of his um, training, and um, all of his guys, he, they had to do track. It was and if, if I may be off by a week or so, but normally it was like four to seven weeks prior to their event. That's when they started doing speed. <laughs> well, and it was beat, it was related to the event. It wasn't like okay, let's do one hundreds now. You know that, that's I agree. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Well, you know the thing about Lydiard, since you brought it up, is that Lydiard was at a disadvantage. You know, he was a pioneer for his era mm-hmm. and his time. And one of the most potent comments he made, and I quote it often, is that the greater the base, the higher the peak. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's absolutely point on. Um, mm-hmm. In order to improve your capacity to go long, you mm-hmm. absolutely have to have a very powerful aerobic base. And mm-hmm. the the disconnect, I think, is that his process is referred to as linear periodization training, where yes. you you spend a tremendous amount of time early on, as you suggested, doing base training. Mm-hmm. And then you pr- progressively increase the intensity towards your event. Now, mm-hmm. the the disconnect that I see here is that there is an assumption that you're going to maintain uh, this base development you created early in your training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you depart from that element of your process, you start to lose the benefits that were gained there. And I think that that's a, that's a real problem. Now, what yeah. I su- suggested is him being a pioneer for his era. It's because he didn't have the advantage of monitoring heart rate when mm-hmm. when he was training folks, right? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so the old expression is, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And, <laughs> yeah. and the, the cream always rises to the top. So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you may have a great percentage of the wor- people that are very diligent in following your processes and they do well by the work, and then your mm-hmm. assumption is, well, this training program rocks because my mm-hmm. my athletes are, are coming to the top and they're doing great. Well, mm-hmm. had he had the ability to monitor heart rate and add that component to his training processes and mm-hmm. then adapt according to progression in your ability to sustain work, I think he would have mm-hmm. even been more successful. Yes, absolutely. I I agree. Um, again, he was uh, he was way ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his time. I had the honor in meeting him in eight, it literally several months before he passed away. I was down in Texas. Um, um, I was doing some ACSM stuff, uh, and he was there and in a different conference room. And I just you know went there and sat there. And he was just so way way above his his time way above his time right. 
You know, well, he never knew the word intervals. He he never knew anything about tempos or lactate. He was just run three quarters of whatever you feel. You know, it's amazing the way he uh, the way he was expressing all this. And now it's uh, a lot of scientists, uh, running scientists, and coaches. That's the you know they obviously adapt their methods based on lineage. Well, there's again, there's a lot of truth to be had behind his his approach to training. And from a broad stroke, and in the absence of having another way to to measure your progress, um, it's a very sound approach to training. And it's you know obviously enough. It's even to this day, and you know this, is that there's still a lot of mystery that that surrounds heart rate uh, training. And I had a you know I actually had some comments with some people on Facebook just a moment ago where there were some questions about maximum heart rate you know the guy saying something like i couldn't get my heart rate up past 195 beats per minute for the longest time mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. the other day i hit 205 and mm-hmm. and my perceived exertion was was less than it was when i was at 195 and I, mm-hmm. and, I, and my comment was why are we having this conversation i mean really mm-hmm. you know i tell people mm-hmm. that your maximum heart rate's a moving target it's you know mm-hmm. you, you never know what what uh, which way the wind blows when it comes to producing a, a, a maximum effort. Some days your heart rate will do it, some days you won't. But none of that yeah. stuff uh, is of any value from a training perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't spend training time at you know five beats uh, short of our maximum effort No. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. any value anyway. So what's more important mm-hmm. is your threshold, where your body shifts. Yeah. And that's, you, as well as you know, that's the key for any type of adaptation. If you're a runner, if you're a swimmer, if you're, you know, and now with these um, CrossFit and the Spartan people, um, I mean, it's it's moving. It's moving. It's 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 understanding the workload and understanding the the intensity of of their event and in the way you're doing your and like I said a few minutes ago, the, you're you know you're writing about this and you're you're demonstrating it with your training um i think you're you're on the right path and i think that if you could get even more specific with the with the actual cycles of training um for these athletes you're you know you should be writing about this i'm telling you (laughs) you know what it is is that i promised some of the people that i'm training that i was going to put together a little spicy program for them and mm-hmm. so what I've what I've suggested in in the writing is that that all training is cyclical. It's not linear. We don't we don't mm-hmm. start out at zero and continue infinity. We mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. going to come a point where we keep pushing, we break. And yep. so what we want to do is we want to understand that, and we want to bypass that potential for failure by regressing and and then then progressing. So there, it should mm-hmm. be training should be it should undulate. It should ebb and flow. And so, you know, I use the analogy of a weight trainer in the periodization process of, a, of developing strength. You know, you mm-hmm. start out with lighter weights, you do more volume. And then you progressively do greater and greater weight and lesser and lesser volume. And then after you finish a cycle, you come back to your, for example, your 10 rep max, and lo and behold, your 10 rep max has improved by, you know, 20 pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing mm-hmm. occurs with your respiratory consequence and your metabolic adaptations. Is that where you might have mm-hmm. started out with a threshold of 140 beats per minute at the beginning of this program, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. you return to phase one again and reproduce the same efforts, you'll start noticing that e- either you're more efficient in your capacities to produce the work, or it's easier, or you can produce more and more effort, mm-hmm. and then you build on that. But you you have to regress in order to progress. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, and there's so many other components you could even use with these athletes. And and, and we mentioned this in the first time we talked about resting heart rates and keep an eye in on that, and because that's a good sign of progression as well. And right. and and recovery, which um, we already mentioned, good recovery process. Not only passive but active recovery, which is very important for especially that type of event that these young athletes are um, are trying to perform definitely well, I can yeah. tell you that i have I have some athletes that I'm working with right now 
that are this is their game. They they're all into obstacle racing and some of them, you know, uh earning money at it. They're they're professionals in the sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they came to me not because I am a professional at obstacle racing, but they identify that because obstacle racing represents about excuse me, running represents about seventy to eighty percent of the work you do during these races is mm-hmm. that if you're inefficient in your running then the cost of work is magnified when you try to produce the power that you need to get through the obstacles. If you can lower the cost of your running, increase your pace relative to your cost, you can mm-hmm. travel faster and have more energy when it comes time to approach these obstacles. Absolutely. So, again, as I suggested earlier, it was it was really entertaining for me to to look at this problem and then try to develop some solutions around it. So the focus being that, you know, uh, we could create, you know, your boilerplate approach to marathon training, which is inappropriate, I think, for these type of athletes. Mm-hmm. They need to learn yes. to contend with this acidic environment. And, mm-hmm. I mean, thus, this is why, you know, Sport Mask is on the map selling these guys these these hypoxic mm-hmm. masks to try to, mm-hmm. you know, mimic uh, altitude training. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, teach them a way to approach the work so that they they have a better handle on their capacities for taking it on or not. It's like it's, it's like if you go to a party and you know, okay, I can drink a beer, maybe two, and I'm cool to drive home. But if I take those four shots of tequila, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I may not make it. Right? You you may That's have right. a problem. So mm-hmm. so. What I look at this as is that these guys are taking the four shots of tequila and grabbing the keys and say, screw it, I'm going to try to get home one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to yeah, know your limitations. I know. You're right. And I think based on what you're telling me also, going back to the actual training aspect, is it's all sport-specific. And we this is an old term that we use for years and years, and I always believe in it. You know, you want to do an event in a certain amount, you got to run a certain amount. <laughs> right. And that's the way, and that's what you're doing. I mean, it's, 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 I can't wait to keep reading about it. <laughs> I'm going to send you a copy of it. I, ha- I apologize, I haven't sent it to you right off, but I was. No, that's, um, it's, uh, we're busy. So yeah, no well, problem. you know, I was pushing, <laughs> I was pushing to get this done, and I, I really wanted to get this podcast out so that. I could supplement the 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 piece with uh, uh, a little bit of conversation around it. But mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this available to people that subscribe to my podcast. I'm going to give it to them for mm-hmm. free. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to use this template uh, with uh, some of the athletes I'm, I'm training right now. Already mm-hmm. have been essentially following this. And now I'm getting reports from people that are saying, hey, Richard, you know what? My heart rate's dropped dramatically while I'm doing da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. and more often, I'm hearing people come back to me in, in the course of the, uh, you know less than a month worth of effort. They're noticing response times that are dramatically improved uh, mm-hmm. with their their resting heart rate or recovery heart rate, and the in the capacity to improve the amount of work they could perform. And mm-hmm. and to be Absolutely. honest with you, I don't think it's very you know it's not rocket science. I think it's just really. Number one, understanding how the body processes energy and adaptation, which I guess to some degree for some people that might be rocket science. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anyway, so I'm just sharing what I think is a very sound approach to improving someone's capacity to survive this type of racing. Yeah, absolutely. Another idea um, and, um, in your next revision of your book, you should add a chapter on this type of training. Well, I, at the end of the day, I look at this and I'm thinking, well, the fact that I've spent, you know, I got about 11 pages invested in this. Um, it, it is a book unto itself. I mean, I, I could, I mm-hmm. could literally write a book on this topic, and as you suggested, I could expound on it and and periodize the work over the course of a series of months, and you know, maybe even you know, uh, develop templates associated with specific distances you're preparing for. I don't know. Uh, maybe if I can get a publisher to jump on it and 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 front me the money to spend the time to invest in in writing it, I, I'll do it. But uh, you know, <laughs> that sounds good. It's like I tell people all the time. I'm, I'm I get enough exercise in my day without having to you know waste a lot of exercise for no good reason. 
Absolutely. I think you're on. I think you're on something here. That's really good. That's so we're going to get a chance. I'm sorry. We're going to get a chance to come out yeah. and visit you, Harry. Yes. Well, yes. Um, like I mentioned, our meeting is next Tuesday. Your name is first on the list. I know they want you to come down. It's now trying to convince them about dates and because the the the, the um, you know the financial part. I think that's the easy part. To be honest with you, I think it's just really trying to figure out your schedule and when we could get you down here. But you will hear from me by next week. Excellent. Well, look, uh, Harry, I, I appreciate that we uh, we took you away from your client. I hope she's not uh, uh, upset with us. Nah, she's she's fine. She's just sitting there waiting. That's no big deal. <laughs> Listen, tell her, uh, tell her I wish you the best, and uh, congratulations on having a baby and coming back to competitive sport. Yes, um, yeah, she's very excited about it. Um, 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 she's uh, she, she's. She's gonna rock this. You watch. <laughs> well, look uh, yeah. again. Let me let me let you go. I know you've got a client, and thanks so much for coming on the show with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's an honor, Richard. You bet, buddy. And uh, best of luck. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network, drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.